The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. The Celebrant Foundation and Institute, the preeminent school for ceremony and ritual careers, teaching people to become professional life cycle celebrants via its international online programs, proudly supports spirituality and health and essential conversations with Rabbi Rami. Sign up now for a Celebrant Open House webinar. To learn more, go to celebrantinstitute.org. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is Essential Conversations. Although an atheist by the age of six, my guest today, David Silverman, was forced to declare his belief in God and become bar mitzvah at the age of 13. This, he writes, was the moment he vowed to never again hide or misrepresent his disbelief in God and religion. Today, David Silverman is the president of American Atheists, and author of a very interesting, compelling, feisty new book called Fighting God, an Atheist Manifesto for a Religious World. David Silverman, welcome to Essential Conversations. Hey, Rabbi Rami, thank you so much for having me on the show. So let's start with, how did you know at six years old that you were an atheist? Well, first of all, there were three epiphanies, uh, one at six, one at 13, and one at 15. That really set me on the way, and they're all Jewish-related, or I should say religion-related. Uh, at six years old, I had a nana who was Christian, so we celebrated. I was raised in a Reformed Jewish household. It was theistic, but it was reform. It was mellow. I decided that I was having doubts about the existence of Santa Claus, and I decided to test to find out if my mother was actually Santa Claus. I figured that a great way to do this would be to tell my mother that I had asked Santa Claus for a train set, even though I actually hadn't done that. And if I got the train set, I would know that my mother was Santa Claus. And if not, then I'd at least not know that. So uh, I devised this test, and I was in the back seat of my mother's car. She had a blue Chrysler. I remember this so clearly. Uh, we didn't have seat belts back then, so I was leaning over the seat, into the front seat, as we were traveling to my Nana's house. And I told my mother about this, and her response was that I was too old to believe in Santa Claus. And then I sat back in the seat, and before I was resettled in the seat, I realized that I didn't believe in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny, or the Tooth Fairy, or God. It all collapsed right there in the backseat of my mother's car. And I told my mother, and she told me that I should ask the rabbi, ask the cantor, ask my teachers at Hebrew school, but I was still going to Hebrew school. So I asked all the questions, and I got really lousy answers. And I stayed that way permanently, but I went through Hebrew school that way. I was the only son I was going to Hebrew school. My mother was not going to let me just walk out of Hebrew school at six years old, seven years old. So I went through Hebrew school, and I went all the way through my bar mitzvah. And I told my mother that I was an atheist. I didn't believe any of this stuff. I've never been closeted about my atheism. And my mother never cared at all that I didn't believe. She said I was doing this, I was going for it, and I was going to do a perfect bar mitzvah. 
And so I did a perfect bar mitzvah. I gave every pronunciation correctly. I did everything right. Let us declare the greatness of our God and render honor unto the Torah, which God gave through Moses as a heritage to the congregation of Jacob. I said everything right, memorized it all perfectly. And I stood up there on the bima, and I looked out in the audience. And my entire universe was in that audience. My entire extended family, friends of my family, all my classmates, everybody I knew was in that audience. And I lied. I lied to every single one of them. And I did it very, very well. And I've always been a pretty good speaker. I remember making sure to make eye contact and move my hands. And I was doing a good job. And I lied to everybody. And they patted me on the back. And they told me I did a good job. And they said uh, that I had been a, become a good Jew. I was a Jewish man now. And they gave me presents. And I realized at that point that people lie from the stage, that people lie from the Bema in Hebrew school. And that was a pretty interesting moment for me because I wondered how many other people, maybe even the rabbi, was lying um, for, from the bima. And then I had to do confirmation. Now, Rabbi, uh, I, I'm sure you know that confirmation isn't a very big part of Judaism. Um, there's not too much. There is no real confirmation in Judaism unless, of course, uh, you have a very greedy temple that wants money. If you have a very greedy temple that wants money, then there is confirmation in Judaism. Then you have to go back to Hebrew school for two hours a day, twice a day, for two more years. And then after you do that, you become a really good Jew. And you go up on stage one more time and you get your certificate of being a good Jew. And you come back downstairs and everybody applauds you for doing this, this great accomplishment. Well, the problem was I went away to high school. I lived at high school in New Hampshire, 200 plus miles away. So there was no way I could attend classes. I was so heartbroken. Um, and so I told my mother, gee, mom, I'm so sorry. I can't be confirmed. I have to quit Hebrew school and go to regular school. My mother would have nothing about it. She found out that if she paid for classes anyways, and I returned a project that was equivalent to two hours a day, twice a week for two years worth of work, I could graduate and get my confirmation with everybody else in my class. And so that's what happened. I went away to school, and my mother paid for classes that I wasn't attending. Oh, and, sure. And, and, it's not and you're talking about, I'm assuming, a reform synagogue? Is that? Oh, yes, yeah. very reformed. I, I think at one time, many, many years ago, there, some survey was done of reform rabbis, and most of them turned out, to, to not believe what they were saying from from the bima, they were just saying what they had to say in order to get uh, to do the work they wanted to do and get the check they needed to get. And it's it's not unique to Judaism either. Okay, this is this True. is common across all religion. All religion is a scam. All religion is a lie. Um, but here's the point. So I went to this regular school. I went to uh, this prep school, and it's a two year program at, at Hebrew school. And I went to the prep school, and for one point nine 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 years. I put not at all thought, no thought at all, no effort at all into this final project that I was supposed to hand in that was supposed to compensate for two hours a day, twice a week for two years. And, I had, and at the same time to turn it in, I had nothing. And I didn't care. So I went to the office of the school and I got a piece of copier paper. Now, Rami, I need you to understand something. I am always about uh, knowing your limitations, okay? I can speak to a crowd of tens of thousands of people but I have no artistic ability at all, none, okay? I just having said that, I took a piece of paper and I drew a circle on the paper and I colored it in green and blue 
and I drew a hand holding up the circle. I have no artistic talent. It looked like a five-year-old had done it. It took me maybe 10 minutes, maybe 15, and I folded up the paper, and I sent it in as my final project, and I graduated, and I went to the graduation. They took it without comment. They accepted it without comment because they'd gotten what they wanted, the money. So I went in, and I I went to the graduation. I didn't even show up for the rehearsal for the graduation. I went to the graduation, so I sat down next to my friend Dara, and she and I both opened our certificates together, and we had the same certificate. And that's when I realized that she had gotten really ripped off because she had to do all that effort to do this, and I just had to draw a piece of paper and, and of course, pay the money. So right. at my that- bar mitzvah, I realized that religion could be lying, and at my confirmation, I realized that there was a scam involved. What if they held you to a higher standard? You know, what if the rabbi believed what he was saying? What if they, you know, wouldn't play this game and wouldn't give you a a certificate and didn't, you know, all that stuff? What if they did it with some kind of integrity? Would you still feel this way? Of course, because my my atheism isn't based on this. My atheism is based on the fact that if you combined all of the religions together and you took all of the religions for all of the gods in the history of the world and you put it together in one place— you have nothing at all. The only reason that anybody is of any religion is that they were brainwashed or born into it. The reason that you're Jewish is because you were born to Jewish parents and raised that way. I'm willing to bet a lot of money on that. The fact is that if you were born to Muslim parents, you would be just as sure that Islam was correct. And if you were born to Hindu parents, you'd be just as sure as Vishnu was there. It's all a matter of brainwashing. There is no reason at all to believe one religion over another because there is no reason at all to believe any religion at all. If you can prove or anybody can prove any supernatural anything ever, I'll quit my job. That's a good point. So what you're really rejecting is supernaturalism. I suppose you could take an agnostic position and say, well, since it's outside of nature, I can't know because I only know what's inside of nature. But that's really what you're concerned with is supernaturalism. It's all about supernaturalism. The supernatural part is a lie. And I don't use the word agnostic at all because nobody really knows what it means. Um, And, you know, we say the word agnostic because, well, I don't know everything in the universe, so I can't prove a negative. Well, Think about the other things that we're sure about, right? Think about me sitting here at the table. Think about my name. My name is David Silverman. Well, at least I'm pretty sure my name is David Silverman. Um, I might have been switched at birth, but I can't know that, right? So I'm going to say I'm agnostic. I'm, I'm probably David Silverman. Well, that's bull. When we're talking about surety, when we're talking about certainty, there is no need to get philosophical about one thing, only, uh, only about one thing. We can talk about God And we can talk about Santa Claus. If we can be sure there is no Santa Claus, if we can be sure there is no Thor, if we can be sure there is no Tooth Fairy, because they're made up and everybody knows it, well, we can be just as sure that there is no God. And when God shows up on my my front door or when Santa Claus lands on my roof, you and I will both convert. But until then, we can say we're sure about things, and we don't need to put religion on some sort of an artificial extra pedestal and say, well, it's probably not true when there is absolutely no reason at all to believe in a man in the sky. I mean, the the God you're railing against decades and decades after your six-year-old epiphany, the God equals Santa Claus equals Easter Bunny equals Tooth Fairy. What do you do with someone like Maimonides, for example, who says, you know, you can't know anything about God. And again, you can 
say it's, it's a meaningless word. I, I, I have no problem with any of this. But someone who's got a little bit more sophisticated theological outlook that is not supernatural, uh, someone like Mordecai Kaplan or you know, any of the naturalists uh, who still find themselves, I guess, you know, in the world of religion, Paul Tillich, those kinds of people, Martin Buber, who are really more existentialist, more naturalist, don't have a supernatural bent. Is there any value at all in exploring things that are greater than ourselves? You see what you're doing here. You're trying to make an excuse to sound religious, okay? If you don't, a God, if you look up the word God, God is supernatural by definition. Now, I'm holding a quarter in my hand right now. I'm going to name this quarter God. And now I'm going to say, I believe in God because my God is this quarter. Right. I'm still Except, an atheist. Okay, so here's, right? My point is, sure, I'm, still, sure. I'm still an atheist. If, if we're going to define God as, as supernatural. So and that's what I do. I, right. So, but I guess we have to be clear about that. I mean, I just came back from two trips to India in the last six weeks. And the people that I was with would be horrified to, to talk about God as a supernatural you know, being. They just... They almost equate God with nature. The argument I think you could make is, well, then why use the word God at all? Since Correct. It's so confusing. Because that, that boosts up religion, and the religion is a lie. The religion is a scam. But we as a society put religion on a pedestal. So it's good to be religious. Even though religion is a lie, religion is a con, religion is a scam. We're part of that scam. We're, proposed, we're, we're perpetuating that scam by saying, I believe in God. But I believe in a naturalistic, non-theistic God. That's not God. That's a thing. That's atheism. If you don't believe in a God, you're an atheist. If you call yourself something else, you're boosting up a religion in which you don't believe. Instead of saying something honest and truthful, which is that you are an atheist. Calling yourself a Jewish atheist, calling yourself a naturalistic Jew or whatever it is, that boosts Judaism. Judaism is a religion. Religions are lies. You're boosting Judaism because Judaism wants you to do that. We're indoctrinated into this concept that helping religion, being religious, is good, even if it's not, even if it's a lie, even if it's a scam. So if you don't believe in a god, you're an atheist. And if you call yourself something other than an atheist, you're not telling the truth. You're not saying the right thing. You're actually lying. If you don't believe in God and you say you're a Jew, well, you're not telling the truth. You're making Judaism look bigger, which is not what you think, and you're making atheism, which is what you think, look smaller. So you're not helping anybody except the con, the lie of God in the first place. So, again, I, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. I am not a supernaturalist. Uh, Are I, you an atheist? Uh, By depends. my definition? Oh, yes. By your Excellent. definition, absolutely. Okay, Excellent. but but uh, I, I think you you do somewhat of a disservice to the more oh I don't know some maybe on the you could look on the mystical side, but I'm thinking of of uh, let's say Unitarians, you know, where where really there is no God idea in Unitarianism, there is no supernatural or the Reconstructionist movement among Jews. It sounds to me that you're taking the lowest form of these religions, the form of a six to 15 year old, and not giving credit to the philosophical end of these traditions. I'm not really worried about the philosophical end. In Fighting God, I specifically define God, and I specifically define religion according to what the definitions are. God is a supernatural entity, and religions are the practice of or the belief in that supernatural entity. So, right, so let's talk about... That. 
So if you're talking about like Unitarians or if you're talking about secular churches and secular temples, I maintain that they are not churches, that they are not religions, that they are simply philosophy clubs. And I have no problem with them except for the fact that they make religion look bigger than it actually is, which, which is not good. Okay, so let's let's just be clear then that we're really talking about supernaturalism, religions that, yes. that focus on that, and the. It's about the lie, Rami. It's about yeah, the, it's I mean, about it's, misleading people. It's a, I mean, if you get people into in, in, and you say, okay, let's look at Rousseau. Well, Rousseau said this. Let's discuss it. Well, let's look at Jesus. Jesus said this. Let's discuss it. Let, let's look at Thoreau. Thoreau said this. Let's discuss it. That there's nothing. There's nothing. Um, there's no lie there. But when you say there's a man in the sky and he wants you to do this, that's a lie. And that's a scam, and that's religion. I, I would go a little further as far as that last point goes, because it's not just uh, a matter of belief. It's a matter of behavior, and these behaviors, or, or let's say, let's go back to beliefs. The beliefs are mutually exclusive. What, yep. the, what the man in the sky who talks to Jews wants, and what the man in the sky who talks to Christians, and what the man in the sky who talks to Muslims wants is very different. Yeah. And belief leads to certain kinds of behavior. Some of it may be benign, but clearly, if you read the newspapers, uh, much of it is not. So what's your sense of why people are, I mean, religion's been around, you know, from Neanderthal times. It's yes. not organized necessarily, but, but people have a, I don't know if it's a, a need, it's an evolutionary part of our, our you know, our, our, our it's part of our evolution. I'm not sure where you want to go with it, but why is religion, even though it keeps changing uh, and the content changes, why do you think religion is, has such staying power? Are people just stupid? No, no, they're not stupid. They're not stupid at all. Religion exists. It's, it's not a stupid thing. It's a brainwashing thing, and it's a desperation thing. We as human beings have one fear in common, death. We don't want to die. Most animals share that fear. We don't want to die. We live fearing death. And religion does the one thing we want it to do most. It makes us not believe in death. It makes us believe, oh, yeah, dogs die and kitties die. But when you die, there's a next step. There's, an, there's something more. There's an afterlife. You go somewhere. All religions do this. You're going to live forever. And here's why. And that's what religion has. That's the staying power. And that's why when you talk to somebody who's a theist and you say you're an atheist, they back off. They, they, they don't like it because they're suddenly faced with the concept that they're going to die, their children are going to die, and their grandparents are already dead, really, really dead, and they're never going to see them again. It's not a good, it's not a good thing. It's not a happy fantasy. All religion gives us this happy fantasy of immortality in one form or another. That's the lie, and that's why people stick to it. They fear death. It's not about stupidity. It's not about you know, being brain damaged or anything like that. It's about being indoctrinated and brainwashed into this idea from birth that allows you to get rid of the most deepest, darkest fear you have. So this fear of death, and I agree that death is the the catalyst for, for religiosity, I guess. This fear of death, you, I mean, that's a question I, I said as a statement. Do, you, do your parents have to teach you that in order to sell you the, the religion? Or do you think it's just part of hu the human psyche? Eventually you, you get to a point where it's just too much to handle and you've got to have some kind of belief beyond that. I honestly don't know the answer to that question, but I think that as you grow and as you become a person, you understand that things die. And you, I, I would believe that you innately fear death. 
And all the evidence shows that we innately fear death when we, are, when we become aware of it. And so this religion thing is there to catch you when you first have your fears of death to say, oh, no, 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 not you. You're not going to die. You're just going to go somewhere. It's going to look exactly like you die, but you're not going to die. You're going to go somewhere and nobody will ever hear from you again, but that's okay because you'll be alive somewhere else. I don't know if it's indoctrination about the fear of death. I kind of believe that it's innate, uh, but I'm not an expert there. What I am saying is that the whole concept is a lie, and it needs to be taken down. You know, the book, Fighting God, is really passionate. Absolutely. And you write that there's a, a, a I'm quoting you now, at present, the need for an atheist movement is, is very real, and fortunately, ours is great, diverse, and growing. We're succeeding, and you ask people, to join this movement, to uh, support it financially and, and, and other ways to become evangelical about, about atheism. How is the structure you imagine, which sounds like organized atheism, how does that differ from the, the scams of, except this maybe isn't a scam, obviously, but how does that differ from creating another religion, this one non-supernatural? What are people getting for their money? Well, this isn't a religion that we're creating. This is activism that we're performing. We're coming, we're coming out of the closet. We're not telling people how to behave or what to do. We are saying that we need your help as a movement to separate church and state and protect all of us as equals from the government. Uh, the organized atheist movement is growing well, but it's not about telling people how to believe. It's not about telling people what to do or what to act. It's about our unified force in the government to secularize the government and bring atheists as the and bring atheism into the realm of the regular in America. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, there is nothing in atheism, in organized atheism, that is a lie. There is no scam here. There is no con. This is not another religion. This is simply activism. You shouldn't compare us to religion. You should compare us to sort of perhaps unions or the ACLU or other um, organizations that push uh, normalcy. Uh, for atheists in the government of the United States. I guess what I had in mind was the, I think it's called School for Living in London, which is an atheist organization. They gather on Sundays, they listen to music, they have, uh, you know, speakers, you know, it, it sort of follows, uh, they have they have life cycle events and that kind of thing. I was wondering if, if you see atheism in America going in that direction, or is it simply, like you said, fighting for the separation of church and state? Okay, so there is a section of the atheist movement that is like that. It's called Sunday Assembly. Mm. And they're there. They, they do, they do uh, it's a lot like what you and I were talking about before with the Unitarians. They do a completely secular, somewhat churchy-like service that is very huggy and feely and nice and sweet. It's something that I fully support, but I would never go uh, because it's just not my place. But yeah, there are some groups that are getting together and essentially performing community clubs or philosophy clubs uh, as atheists, and that's what Sunday Assembly is doing. But the organized atheist movement is much broader than that. Uh, the organized atheist movement is about equality and a place at the table and protecting the separation of church and state. And, you know, my mother said um, on her death, well, literally on her deathbed uh, a couple of years ago, she told me that what I was doing was good for Jews and good for Muslims and good for Buddhists uh, because what all we're doing in fighting God, all we're doing in organized atheism is promoting equality, promoting equality for everybody. The separation of church and state benefits everybody. It is indeed a synonym for religious freedom. And that's what organized atheism is doing. And that's where my passion comes from. It's not about making people do what I say or do what anybody else says. It's about freedom for everybody against the tyranny of organized religion. 
on that note, that is a great place to stop. We will have to have this conversation again because I have so many more questions. My guest today was David Silverman. He's the president of American Atheists and author of Fighting God, an Atheist Manifesto for a Religious World. You can learn more about David's work at atheists.org. David Silverman, thank you so much for being with us on Essential Conversations. Rami, thanks for having me on. It was my pleasure. Support for this show comes from the Celebrant Foundation and Institute, an international online professional training program for life cycle celebrants. Sign up now for a Celebrant Open House webinar. To learn more, go to celebrantinstitute.org. Essential Conversations with Rabbi Rami is a project of Spirituality and Health magazine. Visit spiritualityhealth.com and subscribe to the magazine in either print or digital formats and download the iTunes app for this podcast. Essential Conversations is produced by Corinne Johnston and our program coordinator is Alma Tassi. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.